Amen. Amen. Good singing. Good group. Love to see all your smiling faces on Tuesday night. 2 Samuel chapter 1. 2 Samuel chapter 1. Tonight we start a new series. And it's sort of unique in the fact that we're going to look at a book of the Bible through one lens through our study. We usually don't do that. Usually I just do expositional verse by verse down through books of the Bible and sort of take it as it comes. But the Lord really impressed upon me as I was preparing for this series to communicate it through the lens of leadership. That this was going to be a series that was going to be very pivotal in our church's history. Because I I believe that God wants us to embrace the fact that He created us to be leaders. And so, I want you to keep that in mind. This is not going to be sort of a normal study of how I usually do it through a book of the Bible. Always remember that through the weeks ahead, as we go through 2 Samuel, it is always going to be looked at through the lens of leadership and growing as a leader and principles of leadership. And again, I just want to remind all of us as we start this series tonight, that whether you look at yourself as a leader or not, God created each of us to be leaders. When he created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, he said, I want you to have dominion over the earth and everything on it. And so God created human beings to be leaders. The Bible teaches us as Christians that our future is wrapped up in being a leader in God's kingdom. The Bible teaches us that we will rule and reign with Christ. And therefore, the way we grow as leaders here is really setting up for us the kind of leadership and the role and the responsibility that we will carry throughout eternity. It's pretty important. So with that, with that said, we're just going to dive into it tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 1. Now again, because this is a little bit different, we're not going to go through every verse and read every verse. We're going to pull out principles from the passages and from the verses in 2 Samuel. And when you come to 2 Samuel and you really read the first 10 verses of the first chapter, the book starts out with a lie. It's a nice way to start out the book. This young Amalekite comes to David after he had defeated uh, the Amalekites up in verse 1. And he comes to David and he gives David the crown of Saul and a bracelet that Saul had on his arm from the battle that Saul and Jonathan had died at back at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 31 that we had studied several weeks ago. And he did it because he wanted to curry favor with the new king of Israel. And yet we know that the Bible's version of how Saul's life ended and the way this Amalekite said Saul's life ended were two different stories. And anytime the Bible has the way things happen and the way a human being says it happened, I always go with the way God says it happened. 
So that's why we know the Amalekite here is lying to David, but he's doing it because he's hoping that through bringing these things of Saul to David, that David's going to be impressed. And because David must hate Saul, right? Because of Saul trying to kill him and all that, that David's going to go, oh man, let me give you a high position in my new kingdom. We're going to see in just a moment, that's not how David reacted. Because one of the things that we have seen through our study of 1 Samuel, and one of the things that we see right here at the beginning of 2 Samuel is this. One of the things that God wanted to grow in David's life, and one of the things that David was learning was to wait on God's timing. To wait on God's timing. Listen, that's true for every one of us. How was the kingdom going to come into David's hands? Will he wait for it to come as God's gift or seize it by his own initiative? See, this is why I think this chapter starts out the way it does. This young Amalekite was trying to seize a position in the future kingdom of Israel by his own initiative, by his own wit. And we're all tempted to not wait on God to bring something about, but to make it happen. But David did not want what the Lord did not give him. He would not take by force what God had promised. So many of us mistake, make the mistake of feeling like we have to help God fulfill his promises. And God promised David that he would be the king of Israel. But let's remember something from a timeline Up to this point, that was 15 years ago. Think about it. 15 years ago, God promised David through the prophet Samuel that he would be the king of Israel. But now David has waited 15 years, and yet he still really isn't the king of Israel. In fact, we're going to see here in 2 Samuel in the first few chapters that it's going to take another seven years for all 12 tribes of Israel to finally buy in to David being the king. It's going to happen very slowly, tribe by tribe. And finally, seven years later, David is finally going to be king over the entire nation of Israel. So, 22 years from the time that God promised David the kingdom, 22 years later, David is finally going to be able to realize that promise. Because God wanted to teach David something. That anyone in God's kingdom and any leader in God's kingdom has to learn to wait on God's timing. Waiting is part of the divine design of things from God's perspective. Waiting is never accidental with God. It is always purposeful. But be assured of this. God always makes it worth the wait. But here's something that I want to point out. Throughout history, and maybe even in our lives, in that waiting period, we are very susceptible to taking matters into our own hands because we are tired of waiting on God and we end up really messing things up when we don't wait for God to bring it about, we're going to bring it about. Let me give you a couple biblical examples that we all know. 
Let's go back to the book of Genesis. God promised Abraham and Sarah, you will have a child supernaturally. I will bring it about. But you've got to wait on me to bring it about. We know the story. Abraham and Sarah, in that period of waiting, couldn't wait. And so they took matters into their own hands, brought Hagar into the mix, and created a mess. Because they didn't wait on God's timing for the fulfillment of His promise. Think about the nation of Israel. God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He had brought them through the Red Sea, and they were there getting ready to go into the promised land, and Moses went back up on the mountain. And they were supposed to wait for Moses to come down off the mountain. The Bible tells us that he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And because they couldn't wait for Moses to come back down, the Bible says they began to create a golden calf and enter into all kinds of idolatry and immorality in that season of waiting. So the Bible is filled with examples of followers of God who God is basically saying to them, you need to wait for me to bring this, whatever that is, about. And don't try to take matters into your own hands and don't try to bring it about any faster than the way I'm going to give it to you. But it's in that period of waiting when our faith is stretched. When we either need to go, God, I am really tired of waiting, but I'm going to trust you because I know it's worth the wait. Or, like many Bible characters, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and we end up messing things up. One of the things that David is teaching us here is that here was a young man who God was teaching him to wait on his timing. Tonight, let's get real practical. There's probably not a one of us in this room that isn't at this point in our life waiting for God to do something. And God is saying to all of us right now, wait. And waiting, remember, is not inactivity. David was not inactive for 22 years. He was fighting battles. He was doing what the Lord brought to him to do. He was playing his harp for Saul to calm him down. I mean, he, he wasn't just sitting there waiting for the kingdom to be placed into his hands. God doesn't want us to be inactive in that time of waiting. But what he does want us to do is to wait for his timing. Wait for Him to bring it about. Wait for Him to give us. Rather than feeling like we have to take matters into our own hands and help God along. And as I said, this is part of God's design. We're never going to get to a point in our lives on this earth where we're done waiting for God to do something or bring something about. This is so important in, right now, our church's history. 
We are in a waiting period seeing what God is doing and how He's going to bring about what that next step is for us as far as where we're going to meet and and all of that as far as land and buildings and all that. But again, God clearly is telling me, don't ever let that, Jeff, be your focus. Let me and the people be your focus. Never focus on that. It will come about in my time. We just need to wait. So many churches get tired of waiting and take matters into their own hands and end up getting in a bunch of trouble because they didn't wait for God to give them what he had. They did it themselves. And we're all susceptible to taking matters into our own hands and trying to do it ourselves rather than let God give it to us. So first principle, waiting on God's timing. Now, in just a moment, David is going to react to the young man's lie and what the young man said he did to Saul. But very interestingly, before he does that, notice in verse 11, David's immediate reaction is one of grief. I want you to look at this. Verse 11. David then grabbed his own clothes and tore them in pieces. You know, they must have had a big wardrobe back then. They were always ripping their clothes over something. As did all the men who were with him. They lamented and wept and fasted until evening because Saul... His son Jonathan, the Lord's people, and the house of Israel had fallen by the sword. The second thing I see here in 2 Samuel, as far as leadership, is that here were people who were truly broken because of the condition of God's people. I mean... They mourned, they grieved, they wept over the fact that God's people had taken a tremendous hit. The people of God had been crushed by the enemies of God. The condition of the people of God disturbed them. And it was almost as if God was saying to me, shouldn't the condition of the church do the same to us today? Shouldn't it drive us to mourning, grief, prayer, and sorrow? And when was the last time any of us shed tears over the condition of God's people? Because one of the things that David is showing us here as a leader is that God's reputation is tied up with the condition of God's people. And if we really care about God and His reputation, we will care about God's people. And what condition they are in. Instead, many Christians begin to analyze the church. They begin to criticize the church. They begin to disengage from the church. Rather than being part of the solution, they just end up becoming part of the bigger problem. We need to pray for ourselves. And pray for our church and other churches and other Christians. If we truly love God and know that God is so tied up with His people that the way of His people 
really reflect upon him that wouldn't we want the church to be doing well? Wouldn't we want the people of God to be gaining ground spiritually? Wouldn't we cease from such a, an attitude of competition amongst churches and Christians and rather create a, an attitude of cooperation that we're all in this together? That's what we see from David here and all the people around him. As soon as they heard that Saul, the king of Israel, and Jonathan, and those men had taken such a hit on the battlefield, they were moved. I thought to myself, how many times a week do I weep over the church? How many times a week do I weep over other Christians? Do I really care about how other Christians are doing? Or doesn't it bother me? And see, one of the things that we see here about these people, and I think what God wants to see in us, is that we care so much about others that when they're not doing well, we're not doing well. We rejoice with those who rejoice, but we're weeping with those who are weeping. Then in verse 13, basically David confronts the young man. And he says, if your story is true and you're actually the one that killed Saul, verse 14, how is it that you were not afraid to reach out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And we know, study of 1 Samuel, that David had many opportunities to kill Saul himself and end this thing and speed up the process of him becoming king. But he said, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. And David is incensed that this Amalekite comes along and basically says, yeah, I killed Saul. And here's the proof. I have his crown. I have his bracelet off his arm. I think he was just very opportunistic on the battlefield and picked it up and brought it to David again because he thought that by doing that, he was going to curry favor with David and get some kind of high position in the new kingdom. But David is basically saying to him here, did you not respect or revere God's anointed? You see, God wants to teach us as leaders to have a sacred respect and reverence for the things of God. A healthy, godly fear that controls and preserves us, grounded in love, yes, but a healthy fear. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And one of the things that David at this point in his life had was a respect and reverence for the things of God. Even though Saul threw spears at David, David was not going to raise his hand and throw the spear back at Saul. That was God's anointed. If God wanted him brought down, God can very capably bring Saul down. If God wants me in that position, David thought, God can very capably put me there. But I'm not going to do it myself. I'm going to let God do it. Because I respect God and the things of God. You see, one of the things that God will try to do throughout our lives to grow us into leaders is to continue to elevate 
our respect and reverence for God and for the things of God. That's what he does. That's why a study of God's word is so important because it it should elevate who God is. And part of the idea of worship and the whole word of worship is is really worship. How worthy God is, how valuable he is, that he should continue to get higher and higher. Our opinion and estimation of God should continue to grow. And therefore, whatever God touches and whatever God is involved with, we should grow in a respect and reverence for him. Today, even within the church, there's almost this coziness and comfortableness with God that brings God down to a human level and doesn't allow God to stay where he should be. And yes, there is a balance between coming to God as my father and knowing that he is my friend, but also respecting and reverencing he's a holy God. That's why God told Moses, take off your shoes, you are on holy ground. Treat me with respect. That's why we, the people of God, are called the saints of God. The word saint, Greek word, hagios, meaning set apart ones. We are set apart from the world, set apart to God. We are to be distinctive, holy. Peter said to the people of God, be holy, for God said, I am holy. And we need to gain that respect and reverence for God and for the things of God. Once again, that's what we see here as God is growing David into the leader that he wants him to be. Verse 17. Then David chanted this lament over Saul and his son Jonathan. The next thing I see is how thoughtful David is. God wants to... Grow us into being a thoughtful person. Not an unemotional person, but a thoughtful person. A person who, again, in the New Testament age, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to keep our emotions under control. God doesn't want us to be unemotional, unemotional, but he always wants us to keep our emotions under control. And the reason I bring this up at this point is because a lament is an expression of thoughtful grief. It is the intensity of one's emotions uniting with the discipline of one's mind to produce what I call sort of a structured sorrow. It is no less sorrowful or sincere, but it is a vehicle for the mind as well as the emotions. David is not just vomiting out emotions and feelings. He is carefully choosing his words. That's what a lament is. An expression of thoughtful grief. Taking time to carefully choose his words. God wants us to be that way. It's so easy for any of us whether it's in the heat of the moment in life or whatever, to allow our emotions to take over and to say and do things that are not thoughtful but are thoughtless. And one of the things that God wants to do in our life is to help us all become more thoughtful. 
not only thoughtful about what we say and what we do before we say and do it, but even about how it's going to affect God and His reputation, how it's going to affect others around us. And that's what this whole concept of David now stopping and lamenting and writing these carefully chosen words down at this point. Again, it's not that he's unemotional. He's very emotional. Remember, he just tore his clothes. Pretty emotional. But he's going to allow the discipline of his mind to guide his intense emotions. And God wants us to learn to do that as well. Notice also in verse 18, David gave instructions that the people of Judah should be taught this lament, that he names the bow. The bow was sort of a battle of might, if you will, a battle bow of might in Israel. In fact, during Saul's reign, sort of the symbol of Saul's kingship was a bow. And I'm not going to take time to read this lament tonight. But David goes through and basically says, boy, how the mighty have fallen. Look at, look at where Saul was. Look at where Jonathan was. Look where the people of God were a few years ago. And look at them now. Their bodies are strewn over a battlefield. They have been defeated because we turned our backs on God. And the next thing I see here, by David asking and ordering, actually, this lament to be taught to the people of Judah was this. Another thing about leadership and growing as a leader is seeking to take our failures and losses as an opportunity for growth and learning. If you read the lament, Basically, David is trying to drive home to the people of Judah, at least at this point, and eventually to the nation of Israel. We've got to stop and take time to learn from this. Folks, we're all going to fail. We're all going to fall at times. God doesn't expect any of us as growing leaders to be perfect. God doesn't expect perfection, but what he does expect is progress, growing. And what he does expect is that when I do fall or I do fail, I take the opportunity to grow and learn from it. David wanted them to remember what happened here in order to take the steps necessary so that it would never be repeated. Let's never allow this to happen in Israel again. Let's learn from the mistakes of Saul and where the people of God were. And that takes some thoughtful reflection. Keep your finger there in 2 Samuel. Go over to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament for just a moment. The book of Ecclesiastes, if you don't know where that's found, just find the big book of Psalms sort of in the middle of the Old Testament, and you'll go through Psalms, you'll go through Proverbs, and then you'll come to the book of Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And go with me to chapter 2. I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. 
Look at verses 2 through 4. Written by Solomon, by the way, David's son, years later. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, it is better to go to a funeral than a feast. For death is the destiny of every person, and the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, because sober reflection is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of merrymaking. Now Solomon isn't saying, if you're a Christian, or if you're a God follower, don't enjoy life. Sit soaking sour. No, that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is, if death happens to come, take time at that funeral or that memorial service to remember your own mortality and your own frailty and how short life is. Allow that to affect you. Let it change your life. Can I tell you that in 28 years of doing funeral services and memorial services, I am never more conscious of God working in people than in funerals and memorial services. Because before me are many people that most of the time would never darken the doors of a church, would never come to listen to me on a Sunday or Tuesday, but they are there because a friend or a loved one has died. And it gives me a great opportunity to at least remind them Do you want to let this opportunity of that friend or loved one who's now died just go and just go on your merry way after it's over and not let this affect you in some way? And Solomon would say, no, that's a fool to do that. And in a sense, the reason I went there is because that's exactly what David is doing here, even by stopping and saying, guys, we've got to learn from this. This is a terrible defeat. And now's not the time to go out and party and try to forget about it and move on. No, now's the time to take a little bit of time and learn from it and grow from it. Let it, let it hit us. Let it affect us. But let us do it in a positive way. And then we will move on. Instead of everything being a joke. Instead of trying to avoid the pain of life. David is saying that a leader will allow the pain of life to help him grow. Which, if you go back to 2 Samuel, leads me to the next point. An amazing thing. In this lament, in verse 24 of 2 Samuel 1, David says, O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul. Are you kidding me? You're asking the people of Israel to weep over the guy who hated your guts and wanted you dead and tried to kill you many times and chased you around all over the place? How could you say that? What do we learn from this? Well, one of the things we learn, and don't have time to necessarily capture all of this, but one of the things we learn is that David loved his enemies. Which is what Jesus taught us to do. See, I think by this point, David had already forgiven Saul for what he had done. And David loved his enemy, Saul. But even more than that, I think David is gracious here to Saul because he recognizes God's leadership. 
See, a leader in God's kingdom will never look at themselves as the end-all, be-all, even if they're the king, even if they're the pastor, whoever they are, that it's never about us as leaders. It's always about God. And instead of David taking this opportunity to slam his enemy and to, to really rail on Saul and tell Israel what a dirty, rotten scoundrel Saul really was and how he tried to kill him all these times, but I was so much better than Saul because I didn't. David would have none of it. Because that wasn't going to advance the kingdom of God. All that was going to do was advance David. And one of the things David was learning and God trying to teach him and teach all of us is that we've got to remember that we're always part of something much bigger than ourselves. And it's not just how it affects us. It's how it affects the whole entire people of God. David trust that God has allowed his suffering even at the hand of Saul in order to instruct him in the way of righteousness. In other words, again, seeing God's leadership, David realized that God allowed Saul in his life because God was using Saul at that point. What a freeing thing to even see our enemies and the people who oppose us and the people who slander us and even maybe our fellow Christians who do bunches of bad things at times to us. That it's all part of shaping us and, and helping us to trust God more and grow more and all of that. And that's what David saw in Saul. Saul was used of God to help prepare David for the leadership role he would assume. You ever look at people that have hurt you as God using them in your life to prepare you for something greater? That's why David could say, oh, daughters of Israel, let's weep for Saul. Because again, David saw the bigger picture. David didn't approach life and even his leadership that this was about David, ever. It was about God. It was about God's reputation. Going back to what we said earlier, it was about the people of God's reputation. It wasn't about David. Then you come down to chapter 2. The next thing we see, and we saw this in chapter 31, was David inquiring of the Lord. Here was a kingdom and leadership that was established under divine guidance. David had learned the hard lesson of instead of taking matters into his own hands, he was going to turn to God and ask God what God wanted him to do rather than doing it and then hoping God would somehow bless it afterwards. David makes no move before he seeks direction from God because when he did back in 1 Samuel, he realized he really messed things up. So now David is going back and saying to God, God, should I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord told him, go up. By the way, really interesting, the word go there in verse 1 in the Hebrew means keep climbing. I love that. That's leadership. Keep climbing. 
in a sense, our lives and the plan and purposes that God has for us is a mountain that God wants us to keep climbing, keep going higher, never being satisfied. By the way, I want to interject something. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I shared this with my wife a couple of weeks ago, and I want to share it with you too. I believe that when we get to heaven and we are glorified for all of eternity, that we become who we would have been had we never sinned. In other words, when I get to heaven, I believe that Jeff Royce will be the Jeff Royce that God created Jeff Royce to be had sin never been part of my life. I think that's true for you as well. Again, going back to restoring us to the way things were supposed to be in the Garden of Eden when God first created mankind. But then sin entered. And the image of God that God created us in was marred because of sin. Well, through Jesus Christ and what Christ has done, He's going to restore all that one day. That's for another sermon, another message. What do we need to inquire about from the Lord right now in our lives? What is it that we need to take to God and say, God, is this what you want? Before we do it, maybe someone in here is, you're getting ready to step out and do something, and I think God is saying, fine, but let's pause. Have you prayed about it? Have you asked me? Have you consulted me? Is this my will? Then notice, the Bible says in verse 4 that the men of Judah came... And there they anointed David as king over the people of Judah. One tribe. But at least, at least he was king over one tribe. One tribe. The tribe of Judah. Eleven were left. But at least he started with one. The point I want to make is this. When God grows us as leaders, and this will be the last point for tonight. We'll close with this. When God is growing us, He wants us to understand that it always starts out with a small beginning. It's one of the things I try to encourage our leaders, say, around the oasis with. If you start something, don't worry if it starts out small. God always starts small. But don't despise small beginnings. Because Jesus said... The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Remember that, he said. But look at what that little mustard seed can do. In fact, in closing, would you turn back with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 23. Second book of the Bible. I want to encourage all of you in your life. And this goes back to even what I've been talking about on Sundays as far as spiritual growth. So I think it will encourage you. God 
will never grow us as human beings, as leaders, trying to take us from point A in our walk with Him to point K. God never does that. It's always one step at a time, little bits at a time. So it's going from point A to point B, from point B to point C. Or as we shared even Sunday, it's that next brick that God wants me to lay. So don't ever get overwhelmed at the mountain that is before us. And maybe where God wants us to climb, because God doesn't want us to focus on the top of the mountain. God just wants to focus on where's that next hand going? Where's that next foot going on the mountain as we keep climbing? After he had delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt, in chapter 23, verse 29 of Exodus, God says to Moses and to Aaron, I'm not going to drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild animals multiply against you. Underline or mark these next three words. Verse 30. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you become fruitful and inherit the land. That's something we all need to remember and learn as growing leaders. We get so discouraged because it's just... Our growth is so slow and, 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 and it's so little by little. And, and a church's growth seems so little. Folks, can I just tell you? We're growing, but I'm glad we're growing little by little. Because to me, that's showing that God is doing the growth and not us. Because we wouldn't want to just all of a sudden, boom, just explode. That's not... That's not the way God works. God lays it one layer at a time, a couple people at a time, a couple families at a time, and keeps adding to the church. And He does it little by little. And though churches like ours may start out very small, the impact your life, you may think, but I'm just one person. Remember, don't despise little things. There are no little people or little places or little things with God. Remember the little boy in his lunch. David started out as the leader of Israel over just one tribe. What if David would have had the attitude that a lot of human beings and Christians do today? Well, God, if I can't have it all, then I don't want any of it. If you can't give it all to me at once, then I'm not interested. He would have never become king of Israel. See, God was going to give him the kingdom. God's going to give you all that he has planned for you. But he's going to do it little by little. So that as he gives you a little bit more, you're able to wrap your mind around it and manage it and then move on to something else. That's the way God works. That's the way he's always worked. So don't be discouraged in your life. Even in your growth. Because sometimes it seems like it's so painfully slow. Or don't be discouraged if that Bible study you're a part of or the small group or the ministry or whatever seems to be growing, but it's just so incremental and so slow. And it just doesn't seem to be... Don't worry. It's a mustard seed. 
And God's going to take something that has a very small beginning and He's going to continue to reach it out. But He's going to do it little by little. Hope you'll come back next week. We got some more good stuff to share out of 2 Samuel. Let's close in prayer. God, I pray tonight that every one of us in this room would, would embrace the fact that you want us, you created us to be leaders. Whether we ever have seen ourselves as a leader, whether others see us as a leader, really is irrelevant because you see us. You created us to be a leader, to step up and be the men and women of God that you created us to be. And Lord, you, just like David, a great model of a growing leader, want us to continue to grow to be a leader as well. And I believe with all my heart that you're going to use this study of 2 Samuel to help us as a church and help us individually grow to be the leaders that you've created us to be. You're going to share so many wonderful principles from the way you are growing David that we can apply to our own life and our own walk with you. So we thank you for that in advance. And I look forward to seeing how you really start to use this in our lives and how this is going to, to reach out even to others and how you're going to use this to even impact other lives as well. Help us, Lord, not to despise small beginnings. Help us to realize, Lord, that you are a God who works little by little. Lord, take us home tonight. Help us to rest in you. If there's someone here tonight that, Lord, maybe they're even, maybe they're even fretting going to sleep tonight because sleep escapes them at this point. They can't even get any rest. They're so anxious and tied up about so many things. God, as Nicole even shared earlier, God, help them to rest in you, in your arms tonight. Help them to trust you. That even, Lord, if they're in a, a season where they're waiting, and maybe if we're honest, some of us, we really get tired of waiting and weary of waiting, God, just encourage them tonight. That if they just continue to wait on you, it will be worth the wait. But if we refuse to wait, and we take matters into our own hands, we can really mess things up and bring a lot of unnecessary pain into our life. So God also remind us, leaders wait on God's time. Bring us back on Sunday, Lord. Excited to be here and to continue to grow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, God bless.